In Isaiah chapter 4, theologians down through time have explained this in a historical fashion, and then when they get to verse 2, they jump to the millennium, and that's true. There is applications along that line, and, but some of it, it's really doubtful that it has been fulfilled because in verse 1 of chapter 4, and I'm reading from the New International Version, it says, in that day, that day that's yet future, it says, in that day, seven women will take hold of one man and say, we will eat our own food and provide our own clothes, only let us be called by your name, take away our disgrace. Prophetically, this is looking forward to the seven churches in the book of Revelation as it starts out in chapters 2 and 3 when John looked back and Jesus told him to write what you have seen, what you see, and what you will see over this entire church history for the last 2,000 years. And each one of these seven churches in the book of Revelation represent an attitude that we can find in this church this morning. It's really important because we need a checkup from the heart up with the Lord, we need to know what's our attitude for Christ. You don't have to compare your Christian life. You know, yeah, I did such and such, but ain't there as bad as so-and-so. You ought to see their life. Well, you know them, Lord. I'm not as bad as them. He says, that doesn't make any difference. I don't compare you to him. I compare you to my son. So that tells us we got a lot of work to do because we have to die to ourselves but be alive unto God. These seven churches are pretty absorbed with themselves. You don't need to clothe us. You don't need to feed us. And we don't even have to talk very much. We'll get along just fine. You don't, have to, you don't have to worry about me. I don't have to worry about you. I just want to be saved. They didn't want to feed upon the living word of Christ, hearing it, because it uh, reproves and rebukes us, doesn't it? We don't like to hear that. Nobody likes to be convicted. Nobody likes to feel that. It's uncomfortable, right? We don't like to look at ourselves. I mean, we spend a lot of time justifying what we're doing. We're not our own. We've been bought with a price. And Jesus spent his time trying to tell the disciples that this is not about acquiring a position. This is going down to the lowest in the kingdom and ministering to them and lifting them up because true love gives itself to another person so that that person is fulfilled and affirmed so that they are exalted to their position in Christ. The least among you shall be the greatest. In the last days, it says that people don't really want that. We just want a feel-good message. There's a real move in the body of Christ and has been for really the last uh, about 18 years. And it's more and more prevalent today that that's it. You know, you come, you show up, and, uh, you know, you don't even really have to even shake hands with anybody or get to know them. That way they don't know if you're there or not. <laughs> and you can miss and do your own thing, and it's not so bad. We're not taking role here. If we contact you, it's not because we're trying to check and be mean, it's because we love you and we're concerned about you. And we need to be that way. That's fellowship. This self-absorbed church is so into itself. All they say is take away our, our disgrace. Just take away my sin so I know I, I got my heavenly 401k and, uh, you know, I, that everything's okay. And people, we're living in this last day and, and the, seven, one, the, the last church that's mentioned there in Revelation is the Laodicean church. And that church you know, said, hey, we don't need anything. We, you know, we're well fed. We're, we, you know, we don't need anything. And he said, oh, yes, you do. <laughs> you are blind and you are, he didn't say stupid, but he said, you need, you know, you don't, know, you don't realize that you are poor, blind, and, and, and you need 
you need to buy from me gold that's refined in the fire. You need divine life. You need to find out what this, this life's really about. Why don't you turn to Revelation chapter 3, and, and let's look at that last church there. Um, Revelation chapter 3, beginning with verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the amen, or the true, or the one to be in agreement with. When you say amen at the end of the prayer, you're saying, okay, I'm adding my agreement to that. I'm saying, okay, let it be done. And he's trying to tell them, hey, we're supposed to be in agreement. If we're together, if I'm the head of the church and you're in the body, we're supposed to be in agreement, but we don't even have any communication here. There's marriages like that. You just kind of come and go, and you just kind of share in the same residence, but there's not much communication because then you get in a fight, and that can be your, your fellowship with the Lord. You tolerate him, and he's tolerating you. And he says, uh, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and the true witness. Trying to say, wait a minute, are you supposed to be like me? Then you ought to be a faithful and true witness. But you're not faithful. You're just faithful to yourself. He says, the ruler of God's creation. Verse 15, I know your deeds. Boy, he said that to several others, that you are neither cold nor hot. There's a backstory behind this, that in that region, there was a pure mountain water that would come down, and it was still cold, and it was pure, and it didn't have you know, stuff in it that you had to worry about, getting typhoid or various other things like that. And so it was good because it was cold. You know, a good cold glass of water tastes good, right? They also had these springs, these underground springs that were there that was very hot. We visited Israel, and we were in that area. And uh, so, I mean, you could see it coming up, and there was steam coming from there. It was just right on the verge of, of just boiling, and that was hot water. Well, both of those are profitable. It, hot water's good. If you don't have to build a fire, you can get it right there. Plus, there were certain little pools around that they could set in for medicinal purposes and stuff like that. So he said, I, I, you need to be worth something, and I need to be able to use you, either, you know, as, as cool water that's refreshing to someone and, or as, as hot water that can be used as well for cleansing, you know, or various things like that. He said, you're neither one, and you're lukewarm, and, and that makes me sick. I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth, that's what he's saying. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold or, or hot. I wish you were, were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. And that lukewarm word there, <laughs> because you're lukewarm, says I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Verse 17, you say I'm rich. I have acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. But you do not r realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. This is a church. These are believers. You don't realize that you are wretched, should you're pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that's been refined by judgment, that's been judged and proven. But we don't like judgment. We don't like to be proven. We don't like that, that word that comes and reproves and comes in and burns out the dross. We don't like that. So we go someplace else where, you know, we don't have to have that burning of the word. And he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich so that you can really have the rich things of this life that you understand what you're created for, what your life purpose is all about and, and what really gives you the real satisfaction in your life. And it's not these worldly goods and, and things that, that you think that's bringing wealth to you or happiness to you or pleasure to you. Not at all. You need divine life. And divine life means that we understand his purpose and we align with his purpose, surrender ourselves to it, and serve the body of Christ. 
He says, and um, it's been refined in fire, and you will become rich. And white clothes, he says, to wear. He wants to give us, a, give us white or, or righteous characteristics. The clothing, again, the robe speaks of character. He wants us to have character that shows who he is, that, that we would reflect who Christ is in our life and in our walk. He says, white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. You're making a fool out of yourself. He says, the white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. We need help seeing. We need discernment. We need the, the salve, the anointing of the Holy Spirit to look into the Word of God and, and allow that Word to come in and reflect to us what needs to change. And then we need to change that so that we can see with the, with the discernment and see how God sees, not how we see it. You notice that when you became a Christian, you began to see things differently? And, and our values change. What we used to chase after, we don't chase after that much anymore. As long as we stay with him and we keep our eyes upon him, the Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. He says, looking unto him, that's where our eyes need to see Jesus, and now we see the things of the kingdom of God, and that's what we desire. That's what gives us joy. But they're not that way. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Come on, take an honest look at yourself. Verse 20, listen to this. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame the, and sat down with my father on his throne he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And where is Jesus to this church? He's on the outside trying to get in just to have fellowship and love them. That's what, that's what people want really anyway. But no, we've, in this day and age that we're living in, we're pushing Jesus out of the church and we're having our own thing. We don't have time for Jesus in the church. We've got to move on. Got to get on so we can get people out of here so they can go, you know, watch NFL today and... and or do or whatever, or go get in line at the wherever we're going to eat before it's all full up. And, and it's easy to fall into those things. I'm, it's not, I'm not judging or criticizing because I find myself wanting the same thing, you know? But we've got to say, wait a minute, what is important? What's really important? And so this is what's happening today. This is the end-time churches, and we can see... And we will. We're going to take a look at these churches and find out, where are you here? Are you in that church? Is that your attitude today? If it is, I counsel you to redeem something from Jesus, some divine life, something that's really worth something. That even though it's just like gold, if you own gold, I don't know how to explain it. Uh, Charlie could do a whole lot better job than me, but the way I look at it is it's the, the gold, gold's like the bobber in the in the out in the ocean or out in the, the bay if you're fishing, you know. I mean, here comes, if the tide goes up, uh, Morgan, isn't this right? Morgan, Eric can just can add to this. The tide comes up, the, the cork floats up, right? And it goes down, it goes down, you know, and so it changes with, with the times. And gold's kind of like that. I mean, an ounce of gold today buys what an ounce of gold did in, eight, in the 1800s. It's just that, you know, everything else wasn't selling that much, and so gold wasn't worth that much. 
but it bought what an ounce of gold bought, then it buys now, and, and it kind of sets the standard, right? You know? And so it's something that's valuable, durable. It doesn't tarnish. It, uh, you know, it doesn't rust. It doesn't fade away. It's, it's almost a Harley that I heard going by there. Reason. <laughs> need to get them. Bring them in, Lord. Bring them in, Lord. <laughs> yeah divine life and so he said you buy from me some divine life is doesn't matter what's going on economically if things change no matter what the spiritual climate is or or it isn't or no matter what the economic you're not part of that you're part of my economic system you're part of of my kingdom and so you know it you might feel like it's going like this but don't worry you're always on the top you're the head and not the tail you're above and not beneath and that's what he's trying to say. You need to get, buy this from me. This is the only place you're going to get this, that when everybody else is sinking, you'll still be on the top. It might be low tide, but you're still on the top. That ought to encourage you. And, and then he says, and I'll clothe you with this so that your character can be something that's, not, that's above reproach and, and uh, that's solid, that people count on you. So he's speaking here and he's saying that these seven women, they don't care. You know, basically the church today in the end times, they really don't care about all this other stuff. I just want to make sure I'm saved and that's it. And the sad thing is, is that pastors and churches are settling for this too. None of that other stuff matters. Let's just get them saved. But we don't want to make them uncomfortable, so let's don't give an invitation. How are you going to get them saved? Well, we know that it'll just happen. The Holy Spirit will... Well, if you've already pushed him out, when I was president of the Ministerial Alliance, it was about seven years I was president of the Ministerial Alliance, I resigned. I got tired working. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we were planning a Thanksgiving Day um, deal, gathering together, community gathering. And so we would do some things that we would gather at, uh, at this, that particular year. We're going to gather at Alvin High School Auditorium. And so I was kind of lining out different parts of it. And so uh, there was a, a newer Presbyterian pastor at that time. He, he, he was a young guy. And so his name was Mark. And I said, well, as we're going through, I said, then Mark, at the end, why don't you pray and give the invitation for people that want to accept Christ? And he kind of said, kind of looked down. Uh, I mean, you know, you kind of get something like, okay, uh, I said, okay, does that bother you? And he goes, well, I've just never done that before. <laughs> I mean, I was so stunned. <laughs> I, I mean, if, if, if I was talking to some of, you know, some of you and I said something about, would you like to give the prayer for invitation? You might say, well, I've really never done that. But I have confidence that you've heard me do it enough that you, I'm, I have confidence that you can give that. You could ask somebody. And he was like, well, I've never done that before. And I go, and I just couldn't help. I said, man, man, you're missing the best part of this job. I said, if it wasn't for that, I'd go do something else. I mean, that's, that's what makes it all, all worth it. And so uh, the Baptist preacher at that time, uh, I asked him, I said, well, I know you know how to give an invitation. Why don't you do it? I'll be glad to do that, he said. You know, so here we go. But that's where we are in churches today. We don't want to offend, you know, the everyday person that comes into the church. They might hear something that makes them uncomfortable. Well, I don't try to offend people. That's not my purpose, and I, don't, I really would rather not. But I remember one time talking to the Lord about some of the messages that he was giving me. And I said, Lord, these are tough things. I mean, people have to make commitments, and, and that's tough. You know, that, I mean, there, you have to give a response to this. You know, this is 30 years ago. He said, I didn't call you to 
comfort the afflicted. I called you to afflict the comfortable in our spiritual lives. When somebody gets, we get so comfortable in our spiritual life that we don't want to move any further. We don't want, you know, we just kind of just want to, I got that settled, I'm saved, that's good. Don't talk, no, don't talk to me about any of that stuff. You know, I don't want to hear any more of that. And we don't like moving on because it's, things are different. Well, the only thing that's constant in life is change. And God is moving on. And he, the closer he moves, and the more we move into the end time. In Hebrews it says, forsake, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And so much the more when you see that day approaching. Why? Because we're going to need one another more in these days than we ever needed them before. We need one another. We need the fellowship of the church united together. That's, we need one another. And um, when John began to write the book of Revelation, what he saw was, I mean, this is John that laid his head in the lap of Jesus at, at the Last Supper, and, and he was the one that he called the Beloved One and everything. But when he saw this Jesus in the book of Revelation, he saw eyes like fire and feet like brass. He saw flaming eyes of fire and burning feet of bronze or brass. And, and that means that that look discerns and just pierces and burns through and can look right into the depths of your heart. And those feet, when he walks, he's walking and he's judging. And he saw that what he saw is that Christ in this day and in, in time, he's walking in the midst of his church. And he's saying, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit's saying to the church. Jesus is walking in the midst of churches today that have the right to exist as a church. Because John saw seven, uh, seven uh, angels and he saw stars and seven lampstands. And the stars were the angels of the churches and the lampstands were were the churches themselves. That's the right to exist as a church. And the, the angel was there to say, represent, to say, yeah. And this is, God has authorized this, and this is the way it's supposed to go. And, and if not, I'm out of here. I don't want God to say, I'm out of here. We're, this is not a social club. This is a hospital for the saints. It's where we need... We need, um, we need to be refined. As we come through a, a week that you've come through and been battered and bruised, yeah, you, you, need, a, 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 you need a pep talk, but you also need to be, be refined and, and washed by the water of the Word and cleansed from all the garbage you've been having to put up with and deal with and get back out so you can walk uh, with, a, with your white robe in a sense that you're not holier than thou, but you can live in this world that we live in and still portray who Jesus Christ is. And so these seven churches, but all they want is just to remove the eye reproach, just take, take away my guilt sentence, and then I'll, I'll go about doing my own thing. And that's all that people really want out of church today, out of Christianity today, is they just want to be saved and don't want to go to hell, but don't tell me anything else. I don't, I don't want to know anything else about it. Well, that's the self-absorbed church. And, uh, you know, Jesus had a lot to say about it. And, and he, that's not where we need to be, uh, is in that self-absorbed church, all about ourselves. We need to be all about Jesus and, and what he's saying to do. And so Isaiah, he goes on to, to talk then more about uh, the, the rest, I guess, the rest of the story. And... Uh, uh, what he has to say there, 
comes down and in verse 2 he says, In that day, speaking again, in that day, this day that's, that's advanced here, he said, In that day um, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing for those, for those of Israel who have escaped. Now this talks about as we move from the self-absorbed church saying all I want is just to be, I, I, I want to keep all my own stuff, I just want you to take away my disgrace, my reproach. We move from there into a church that says, wait a minute, no, I, this is the Christ-exalted church. I want to exalt Christ in my life. It's, uh, it begins, it says in, in, in Isaiah chapter 1, or chapter 4, verse 1, In that day seven women will lay hold of one man and say, We will eat our own food and provide our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name. Take away our disgrace. And so people might not even recognize that they were married because they never see them with their husband because they're doing their own thing, living in their own spot and whatever. They're never with them. But yet, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm married. Yeah, 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 I'm married. People might not know that you're a believer. They might not even know that you're a Christian. And, and, and you, oh, well, yeah, yeah, I go to, I go to church. Well, sometimes people think going to church is going to make, make them a Christian. No, sleeping in the garage don't make you a Chevy. <laughs> you know, so, you know, coming to church ain't going to make you a Christian. But once you are a Christian, then we're responsible to, to, to come and participate in the body of Christ. I did. I said Chevy. I'm trying to get my, I'm working on that, you know. Uh, verse 2, verse two. in that day the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious and the fruit of the land, or, or the fruit of the land will be the pride and the glory of the survivors in Israel. That was the NIV. I had read first from the New King James. Who's this branch that he's talking about? Amen. It is Jesus, the branch. Amen. That's right. Um, you know, all through the Old Testament, uh, the branch that's mentioned is, uh, that's coming forth or shooting forth is none other than Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, Je Jehovah Yahweh, Yahweh that causes things to come into existence. He is the Messiah. In fact, here's a couple little side notes that if you're writing your Bible, which it's okay to do that. You know, you don't have to take, even when you go to heaven, when you're raptured, that's going to stay here which is a good thing. So you ought to write in it so that those that don't know anything when we're gone, they can at least have some notes to help them, give them instruction. Bible, B-I-B-L-E, basic instruction before leaving earth. That's what it's all about so we can leave it. <clears throat> so you can write in there and put this scripture next to it, Jeremiah 23, 5. In Jeremiah 23, 5, Jeremiah says, the days are coming. Okay, so he's talking about yet, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to, to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. Talking about the Messiah that's to come. Jeremiah 33 and verse 15. Jot that one down. Jeremiah 33, verse 15. In those days, here we go again, yet future. In those days, and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line, he will do what is just and right in the land. And so it's talking about the Messiah here. This is who the branch is. The Chaldean, which was the original language for this, and everybody, sometimes people think it's, all, it's either Hebrew or Greek, but the Old Testament was written, a large part of it was written in Chaldean as well as Hebrew. 
and in the Chaldean, the original language for this book, it says, In that day the Messiah of the Lord shall be for joy and glory. You know, so it's talking about the, the Messiah here. Uh, in that day, the branch of the Lord, the, the Messiah, shall be beautiful and glorious. In that day, he's coming. You know, and he's coming, and when he comes to a certain people, he's going to be beautiful and glorious. To some other people, he's going to be horrendous I mean, and terrible, and, and they're going to be frightened. Why? They're not ready for him. But the bride is ready, and he'll be beautiful to them, and uh, beautiful and, and glorious. And then it says, uh, the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing. Now, what's the fruit of the earth? He told us in John 15, 16, he said to his disciples, he was talking, he says, you haven't chosen me, but I've chosen you. Because usually the thing is, is that a person that was, had come through and was qualified enough to be a disciple, uh, they then could choose a Messiah, uh, not a Messiah, but a rabbi, and they always wanted to pick one that had a good reputation so they could say, well, I was taught under rabbi so-and-so, and they gives them more status. So they would choose the, the rabbi, and Jesus said, hey, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Remember who you are? you just the lowly people that couldn't make it, and you couldn't make the cut to be an actual disciple, but I'm telling you that I chose you, and I, that's who I choose. I choose. He said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you, and I ordained you, or I predetermined something for you. I ordained you that you should, what? Go and bring forth fruit, and that that fruit would remain. He said, I, I chose you so that you can be fruit bearers, that you bring forth fruit, and that the fruit that you bring forth remains, and then that fruit brings forth fruit. And so what he's saying here is this group of people that recognizes the Messiah as glorious and, and beautiful, um, he says to them, he said that the, the fruit there uh, is going to be what? Excellent. And it's going to be, uh, he says, it's going to be uh, the fruit of the land will be the pride and the glory of the survivors in Israel. The pride and the glory of, the, of those that that survive, that, that make it, that, that made it through, that overcame. When the different things came to tempt and to test, you made it. You survived it. You survived that test, and you survived that test. Sometimes we don't always survive the test, do we? And uh, so he says, you know, uh, in fact, in Revelation 19.7, it says, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. Give him glory, God glory, for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. She's made herself to be what? Uh, excellent and appealing, or as it says in the, in the NIV, uh, would be the pride and the, and the glory, would, would represent that something that God gives his approval for. Paul was talking, he says, I want to present you spotless as a bride. And, and, and he goes on to say, he says, I, that, so that you, when you stand before the Lord, you will not be ashamed. That you'll be appealing, you'll be the, his glory. Isaiah 60 says, arise, shine, for the light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. And, and that's how we're to look. We're to give, his, we're to portray Christ. When someone sees us, uh, we ought to be, 
the apple of, of God's eye. We ought to be the pride and glory of, Je- of Jesus and who he is. They ought to see his character in us, his love in us, his joy in us, his peace in us, his patience in us, his kindness in us. He's, they ought to see the faithfulness of Christ in us. They ought to see these things that are appealing. We ought to make ourselves ready, ready for this beautiful uh, bridegroom that's coming that uh, the branch of the Lord, and he'll be beautiful and glorious. And so we want to prepare ourselves as the bride. The bride would go through a lot to get, they'd scrub her down and make sure everything, put oil on her and, and everything. So that when she was presented to the bridegroom, that man, I mean, it was like, woo! But others, they had to put that veil over so they couldn't, couldn't, tell, where it was, couldn't tell whether it was a woo or a woe. <laughs> I, I'm only serious. <laughs> but you know sometimes we've kind of forgot how to be the bride or the pride and glory of the lord we just kind of we kind of look like everybody else uh, you know we kind of talk like everybody else god's people he sets them apart you know israel was set apart now we're the body of christ we're the spiritual israel you know we are like that jerusalem that's coming down as a bride adorned for her husband and so there ought to be something different about us. You know, there's something different about us. That we stand out to the king. That we are appealing and to him. I mean, we're not people pleasers, but yet people ought to be able to see that. And so, um, it says, for those, uh, uh, you know, he says that, that we ought to be that, that pride. We ought to be the glory of the Lord. So, the bride's made herself ready there in Revelation 19.7. In John 15 In verses 5 through 8, it talks about that true Christians and what they're supposed to do. We ought to be abiding in the vine, and we ought to be taking on looking like the branch, that we would be a branch, and that we would produce fruit, because that's what he's called us to do. In John 15, verses 5 through 8, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a, a branch that is thrown away and withers. And people that if, when you don't stay in the Lord, you don't stay in the word and, and you don't, you know, the word brings faith. You don't stay in fellowship with, with your brothers and sisters. You just kind of wither away, right? Yep. That part of your spirituality just kind of withers away and Satan's right there. To, and then you, yeah, then when you hear the word, it really does bring that fire of judgment, right? He says that, that they're like, the, the branch is thrown away and withers, and such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. There's going to be a time that those that don't make it, when Jesus comes back at the, before the tribulation starts, and those that have escaped this thing will be caught up together with him in the clouds, those that remain are going to go through some fiery trials for the first three and a half years, and that's part of the churches that we see here. Part of these seven, that they only wanted his name only, they didn't want to be clothed like him. They didn't want to look like him. They didn't want to be his pride and joy. They want to be their own pride and joy. And so they, they remain and, and that withers. And it says that such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me, verse 7 of John 15, if you remain in me and uh, my words remain in you, ask what you wish and it will be given you. Because what, what will you be wishing? Not, if you were wishy-washy, you'd be wishing for your own stuff. 
Lord, give me this, give me that, give me this, give me that. Because you'd be self-absorbed. But if you are the Christ-exalting type person, what would you wish for? What would you pray for? What would you be your greatest desire? What would exalt him? So he, doesn't, he knows that without, with full assurance that he can give you this carte blanche, as, as, so to speak, that, that you could ask for anything. Because what he knows that what you would be asking for will be the, your heart, and what your heart is, it's set upon him. You know? You know? He says, well, what would you like? I don't know, Lord, what do you want? Well, I, I want my church to grow. Okay, cool. Then that's, that's what we'll talk about then. And so this is why that this, these that see him, that, that they recognize him as beautiful and as this branch that's beautiful and glorious, the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing. Our life ought to be excellent unto the Lord, excellent and appealing. Don't give me this, that's good enough. No, it's not. Why don't we strive for excellence in our life? What does Jesus do? You tell me if that's good enough for him? When it's good enough for him, when it's good enough for the Father, then it'll be good enough. Whenever we think we got it made, Paul says, you better watch out before you fall. Yeah, I got this thing down now. Oh, yeah, we'll just stand a little closer to Jesus and see how much you look like him. We'll never be exactly like him, but we ought to be close. When the devil comes at you, you ought to scare him silly because he thinks he's looking at Jesus. We are heirs and joint heirs with him, right? I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The way God sees me, he sees me as, as he sees Jesus Christ. So the devil ought to see me the same way. And if he doesn't, he's going to get you. Hmm. We need to be excellent and appealing. The faithful church, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, listen to this church. We read about the Laodicean church. That, you know, right now I believe that on the face of the earth, that there is a remnant of believers that desire nothing but Christ. Be a part of the minority. Be a part of the minority. The bride of Christ. Revelation 3, 7, talking about the faithful church, the Philadelphia church. Philadelphia means brotherly love, loving one another. Well, you and John said, don't tell me you love Jesus and you hate your brother. You don't love your brother. When you love your brother, then you're really showing the love of Christ. So don't you be talking about how much you and Jesus are all alike and everything else, and then you be talking bad about your brother or your sister. So it says there in verse 7, And to the angel, I'm glad I lost my notes. I'm glad. That's what I was, about, about 11.30 when I was working frantically trying to find something. I knew it had to back it up someplace, and I know that they're there. That's fine. Finally, I said, I shut that other thing. I had another little laptop. shut that thing down, and I just went over and closed everything, and I says, Lord Jesus, I need to pray. I don't usually use my notes anyway. So I just, you know, read some scriptures. So I don't have to have this. What am I making such a fuss over this for? Revelation 3, 7, he says, And to the angel in the, of the church of Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David. That ties back to that branch, that offshoot of David. The keys of David, the authority of the worshiper and the warrior. And this, this minority, this remnant, this bride is going to be a, a warrior and she's going to be a, a worshiper as well. It says, he who opens and no one can shut and shuts 
and no one can open. When the, door, when the Lord opens the door for you, ain't nobody going to close that door. When he closes one, ain't nobody coming through it either. Shut me in with you, Jesus. <laughs> Shut me in with you, Jesus. Devil ain't going to open that door. You know, or just open, open the throne room and let me come in. When he opens it, you come right in. And no man can shut it. He says, uh, he who opens and no one can shut and who shuts and no one can open. Verse 8, he says the same thing. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door. And this open door that's there in this, in this, to this church is the door that's in chapter 4 of Revelation. It's that opening into that rapture door that's opened where John is caught up before the tribulation time. That's an open door, and nobody can shut that. And it's only to this remnant, this bridal company, who cares more about Jesus than they care about themselves. He says, um, See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have, for you have a little strength. That's important to know. Because when you have a little strength, you start thinking that Jesus had, doesn't know what you've been doing. Well, because the devil comes to tell you, yeah, yeah, well, if Jesus loves you so much, why are you having to work so hard? If Jesus loves you so much, why are you going through all this stuff? If Jesus, where is you, Jesus, now? Yeah, where's Jesus now when I just slapped you down? Oh, he's about to open the door, devil. <laughs> you, you better watch out. He's right here beside me. I'm just taking a step back. And I'm getting ready to launch forward. He says, I know your work. See, I've set before you an open door. No one can shut it. For you have a little strength and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet. Those that claim to be, those hypocrites, those that say, oh, well, there's many ways to God. There's many ways to God. You know, there's Allah, there's Buddha. There, I uh, about couldn't believe it and passed out when I heard a preacher in Houston with a mega church when they were interviewing him about the stuff with Islam and all this stuff going on and what did he think about the Muslims. And he says, well, there are many paths to God. Oh, my goodness, I couldn't believe it. What an opportunity with a worldwide audience to say, well, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father yet through me. I love them. God loves them. He loves them so much he gave his son to die for them. But they're not going to make it to heaven without him. What does that take? 15 seconds? Buy that for a Super Bowl commercial and see what, you have to, what it costs you. Could have said that. Indeed, I will make those come and bow down. He says, um, he says, indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet. But it's getting better. Listen to this. And to know that I have loved you, verse 10, because you have kept my command to persevere, not be comfortable. Because you have kept my command, not suggestion, or a nice little, um, you know, sugar-coated message to be encouraged and, and to help you, you know, over your week. Because you've kept my command to persevere. Don't give up. You press on. You, you use the, the armor of God to press on. Because you've kept my command to persevere. To persevere means to continue doing something 
in spite of opposition or difficulty. He says, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world. That's that door that he opens. It's a way of escape. And you'll see here in these churches, when you read Isaiah, he says, when you've escaped that, escaped those that have escaped Israel are, are just the, the general body of believers, the house of God. Well, I'm glad I'm a part of the house of God, but let me tell you something. There's, in the house of God, there's the bride, and there's the servants, which you want to be. I, I want to be sleeping with the king. What about you? Because you have kept my command to, to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall, not maybe, or might, or if it does, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Or what, he said, what that means is when I come, it's going to be fast. You're not going to know when I'm coming, but when I come, look out, I'm coming fast. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. I don't care if you've been persevering for 20 years. You continue that command to persevere because when he comes, it's going to be quick. And don't let somebody else then take your crown that you give up and that race that you're supposed to be running, there's a crown at the other end of it. When somebody else has to step in and run the, finish your race, they'll get your crown for that. Now, that's not talking about your salvation. A crown's not given for salvation. A crown's given for rewards, a reward of your works. He said, I know your works. I know your deeds. We're not saved by our deeds. You can be the best person in the world and you can bring me chocolate cake and try to get in good with the pastor and Jesus and the church and everybody else and the Pope, but that ain't going to get you saved. you got to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that, and that's going to get you saved. Uh, verse 12, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, a steadfast place in this Jerusalem, this new Jerusalem, this heavenly Jerusalem, a pillar that holds things up. Why? Because you've been holding stuff up here. There's other people holding stuff up, but they're just holding up progress. But you'd be holding up. You're holding somebody else up in prayer. You're holding the Lord Jesus up the banner in the difficult times. And he shall go out uh, no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. You're going to have Jerusalem written across you, whether you like it or not. It's going to be an honor thing. And the new, uh, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. 